Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Tonight, we're here because we're on a journey. We're on a journey of seeking to grow, and we're trying to bring some more beauty and joy into our life. And so, the Kabbalah of mastering time is what we're going to call it tonight. So this guy, a Jewish guy, invites his non-Jewish Japanese partner to high holiday services. And the man for years had been hearing about high holiday services and he was all excited he's going to attend the Jewish event. And once he gets there, his friend is explaining to him, he sees the talit and he's explaining him the significance and the, and the symbolism of it and he sees each and everything has the symbolism. Finally, it gets to the rabbi's speech. The rabbi takes his watch off and puts it down on the podium. So the Japanese man turns to his Jewish friend and says, what's the significance of that? He says, absolutely not a thing. <laughs> Yanko is standing on the train platform. And he asks a Jew, what time is it? And the man ignores him. And he says, excuse me, sir, what time is it? Completely ignored so just look up, look at me. What time is it? Completely ignored. Finally, he turns to me and says, please, have the decency to answer the question. Just tell me if you don't know the time. Finally, the man looks up, completely frustrated. He said, listen here. We're two Jews here, both waiting for the train. <clears throat> if I answer you, you're going to start a conversation. And we're going to start talking, and something will develop between us like it does when two Jews start talking. And that means that we're going to get on the train and we're going to continue the conversation. Then, as the conversation continues, my Jewish soul is going to start making me feel guilty that I haven't invited you to my home for Shabbat. <laughs> so you're going to come for Shabbat. And when you come for Shabbat, you're going to meet my daughter. And she's a very nice girl, and you're a very nice guy. And chances are that you'll like her, and she'll like you. So eventually, you're going to want to marry her. So let me ask you, why would I want a son-in-law who can't afford a watch? On a serious note, imagine the following scenario. It's the Middle Ages. A Jew is thrown into prison by a baron, by a landowner. And the landowner says to him, Jew, you're here for life. But because I'm a nice guy, I'll grant you one day of every year to be free. 
On that day, you can do anything you want. I don't care what you do. You decide what you want to do. On that day, you can do anything. Which day should he choose? Rosh Hashanah? To be in synagogue? Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year? Simchat Torah, the joy, the festivity. To be happy, to be free on the happy day. Maybe Passover, so he can spend the Seder with his family. Maybe his birthday or an anniversary. Which day would you choose? Shabbat. 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 Mm-hmm. Anything else? Which day would you choose? Yom Kippur. This actually happened. In the 16th century, there was a man that was thrown into prison by a landowner. And the landowner said that I will give you one day every year to be free. And he didn't know which one to choose. So he wrote to the famous rabbi, the Radbaz. And the Radbaz wrote back. And he told him the following. He said, the day you should choose is the very first day that's available. It makes no difference what day it is. You are given an opportunity of freedom. You take it immediately. If you look in the Torah, if you look in the Jewish books, you're going to find there's a a common term that's used in the prayers, in the Bible, in the scriptures, in many of the books. It's called Hayom. It means today. For example, in the Shema, we have And we're constantly hearing this today, today, today. It translates, for example, in the Shema, that God says, I told you this day should be on your heart. Which day? What's this Hayom? Which day? Every day represents an opportunity to learn something new, to make a change for the better. I'll tell you something interesting. The very first instruction the Jews were given when they left Egypt was keep Shabbos. Believe in one God. Which one? No one knows. Hurry out of Egypt. Run. See Moses run. Remember 2000 year old man? Okay. Zechem, Mochem, Nuchem. Do you remember that? You know Brooks? The very first instruction was to make a Jewish calendar. And when it says, God says, Set a Jewish calendar. He said this was the first day of Nisan. The commandment came, the first commandment in the Torah. The first mitzvah. Nisan will be the first month. And then God set out the rules. You look at the moon and you establish which is the first month. And there was a whole process of how to create the calendar. And this very elaborate 
very intricate process of creating the Jewish calendar was the first commandment. And the commentaries talk about this. And they say that God didn't just give the, the, the commandment to know what day it is. But they say that God gave it so that we should be a master of our time. We should have control over our time. Now, I think like this. If there was ever a point in history where we should be a master over our time, it's right now. It's right now. Years ago, people didn't have the luxuries of being masters over their time. They didn't have a second. They were just trying to survive, scrap a penny, a morsel of food, a piece of bread, try to go here or there. They're running. They're constantly in pure chaos. Today, we have so much more time, we have no idea what to do with it. We have so much time that we spend it watching people run after little pucks. <laughs> we have so much time that we make ourselves mashuga, doing the craziest things. You know what we do? We have so much time. We have these machines that we can run without going anywhere. Ever hear of such a thing? Forget about running for fun. You run because someone's chasing you. Run for fun. We can run today without even going anywhere. We have gizmos and gadgets and things that make our life so good, right? And this thing, this is a time management device. It's brilliant. If my great-grandfather had this, you know what he could do with it? He would have been, he could do everything. He could keep track of his books. He could keep track of his finances. He could keep track of the time. He could do math on it. Everything. With this little device, it should save us 90% of the things that took a lot of time 100 years ago. Fax machine. Remember that? When it came out? People couldn't understand it. You're going to take a piece of paper, and it's right here in front of me, and it's going to get to someone, a piece of paper is going to get to someone a thousand miles away. Are you crazy? Microwaves. It takes time to heat up your food. Not 20 seconds. Today, so I'm on the flight, American Airlines, from... New, from Montreal to New York. Now you think it's probably a pretty popular flight, right? Well, it happens to be that British Airways is basically giving away flights, and no one knows about it besides the Hasidim. You know how I know? Because every time I fly, it's all Hasidim. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't understand why no one knows about this. You can get a flight right now from Montreal to New York any day of the week with one day with 10 seconds notice, for 200 bucks. Seriously? Yes. Yes. Taxes and everything. Priority access. And LaGuardia Airport. This is... It's a one-day return. No. Anytime you want to go, whenever you want to go, whenever you want to come back. As long as the seat's available. Only the Hasidim know about it, because every time I take these flights, 
It's all Hasidim. Anyway, so this lady, this Hasidic, this Hasidic lady, is sitting on the plane. And she pulls out her dinner. And she opens the bag, and all of a sudden, smoke is coming out of the bag. The stewardess was about to, like, finish her. You can imagine the flight, the smoke. And she's sitting there eating her brisket dinner. I've heard of them. They're called self-heating meals. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I couldn't, I'd never seen anything like it. It's literally, I was shocked. And literally, she pulls it out of the bag, and all of a sudden, it starts smoking. She had, it's a little mechanism that, that, that goes. I don't know how it works, but the thing what cooked her on nice hot, it was piping hot, and she had no sternos or anything. It was amazing. Look at what we have today. So, with all these fantastic inventions, where's all the time gone? What happened to all the time we saved? I don't understand. What happened was, along with all the time we saved, along with everything being done quickly, came the expectation that everything will be done quickly. Deadlines have gotten disproportionately quicker. They used to say, I need it in a week. That was fair. Then it got to a point where I need it in a few days. What does everyone say? I need it, I need it yesterday. yesterday. That's the term now. We've gotten so used to being able to get everything done instantly. If you can't get it done instantly, don't bother doing it. That's what people say. I need it done yesterday, right now. It used to be that you left the office and your day was over. See you tomorrow. Now we're on call 24 hours a day to the point where as I'm talking, half of this room is looking down at their phones or thinking about their phones or thinking about someone they, they, they feel bad. Some are actually <laughs> typing. Others are looking at it. Some are typing above a table. Some are typing under the table. And some want to so badly, but they just feel like there's a certain sense of, of, of just... It's a problem, but they really want to, and they're holding themselves back, and they're like every two seconds thinking, what the phone, I want the phone. This is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is nothing shuts down. Nothing shuts down. We live in an advanced age, but we have stopped learning how to stop work and truly live. We push ourselves to the limits. We have high stress levels. We take risk. We do things that no one has ever done before. But are our lives better? Are we leading more productive, more powerful? Are we leading lives that are honorable? Are we leading lives that our grandparents and great-grandparents look at us and say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Are, is that the kind of life we're leaving? We push ourselves to a point that our bodies can't handle. 
We throw away our health because of how busy we are. Physical, mental, and emotional. I think that's why the first teaching that God gave us in the Torah was be a master over your time. Because all we have is time. There's nothing else that belongs to us as individuals living in this world besides our time. There's nothing else that we have that really belongs to us. Well, you're going to say this belongs? Well, it doesn't. Give me, some, give me something else that belongs to you besides your time. The body? It doesn't belong to you. It's given to you on loan from God. And when you leave this world, you have to give it back your to this world. You don't take it with you. Your thoughts are keeping it. Huh? Your thoughts, you know. Your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Are they always time-related? They're often time-related. Are they, all, are, they, are they ever not time-related? Are there ever, can you create a non-time related thought? We're going to talk about that in a second. I don't, I don't want to... Right as, as I'm studying you and considering you, I'm not thinking about how much time it's taking you to... We're going to talk about that in a second. Sorry. No, no problem. What I'm saying is that all we have is our time. We used to be slaves to Pharaoh, and now we're slaves to iPhones. The only way to take control of your life is by taking control of your time. That is the first step. The first step, the Kabbalists say, to take control of your life is by taking control of your time. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard, that we shouldn't be successful. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to attain the greatest comfort possible for ourselves and our families. It means that we shouldn't allow our material pursuits to control our lives. So this guy goes to a psychiatrist. He says, what's your problem? I don't have any problems. So why did you come to see me? My family insisted. Okay. What does your family think is wrong with you? They think something is wrong with me because I like pancakes. Psychiatrist thinks a second. Nothing wrong with that. I like pancakes too. You do? You have to come over to my house. I have 10,000 boxes of pancakes in my kitchen. <laughs> Why do you have 10,000 boxes of pancakes in your kitchen? Because I like pancakes. Take a seat. Pancakes are meant to satisfy an appetite. There are means to an end. But to save 10,000 boxes of pancakes for the sake of saving pancakes, you're turning the means to an end into an end of itself. And that's what we do. What we're doing is we're taking all the means and turning them into ends. In psychology, we call that insanity. <laughs> insanity is when you take the means and turn it into an ends. It got to a point where we used to work so we can make a living. Why do we want to make a living? We make a living so we can support ourselves and our family and live in this world. But now, we work to make money. Why do we make money? What do you mean? What do you mean? We make money. Why do you make... 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting philosophical, dude, here. Why? What do you mean, why? We make money. Oh, you don't make any money? Who are you? What kind of status do you have? Oh, you have a little house? You need a big house. Really, and then what? You need a big car. You need a nice and expensive car. Why? Then what? Oh, you need everything. You have to buy everything as seen on TV. Everything. I was in a hotel last week. I, I, I very rarely watch TV. I have no TV. And, and I'm flipping the channels. And it's all selling stuff. The whole, every channel, they're selling something. You have to have this. And then you three easy payments of 99, 99, 99. You can have it. And none of that. We're going to throw in that. Like, like, I'm like, okay, fine. Yes, sir. <laughs> Whatever you say. It's unbelievable. It was supposed to make our lives happy. The big house, the big car, that was the American dream, right? It was supposed to make our lives happy, and it's made our lives miserable. Because, because we can't live our lives turning the means into the ends. If the means become the ends, then I have a simple question. Where are we? What are we? Who are we? So there's this Chelmite. You know the Chelm jokes, don't you? Basically, Chelm was the, where all the scholars lived in Europe. And they used to make the Yiddish jokes about the scholars because they all lived there and they would turn them into the fools. And there was always, there became this whole series of, I mean, this is 200 years going back. They made the Chelm jokes. So here's one Chelm story. There was a, a Chelmite who couldn't find his clothes in the morning. He would wake up and he would spend hours trying to find his clothes. He couldn't remember where he put his stuff. So he went to the great wise sage of Chelm. And he said to the sage, I have a problem. I can't find my clothes in the morning. So the sage said, I'll tell you what you do. Before you go to sleep, take out a pen and paper and write down where you put everything. So, oh, it's brilliant. This is brilliant. I'm so excited. He runs home. He starts and he's slowly taking off his clothes and he's taking that, that and he's writing everything down. And then he puts the paper right near his bed. And in the morning, he's so excited. He jumps up and he pulls out the paper. Oh, look at that. My shirt is there. Just like the paper says. And my pants are, oh, just like the paper says. And my socks. This is great. And then the last thing on the paper, it says, and I am in bed. He looks at the bed, and he's not there. So he looks under the bed. He's not there. So he looks in the closet, and he's not there. So he concludes, what good is it to know where everything is but I don't know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) Every film story has a message. And that's the point of the stories. What good is it to have everything but we don't know where we are? 
right now, we're in a unique time on the Jewish calendar. We're, in the road, we're on the road to freedom. We came out of Egypt a few weeks ago. And now we are going through the desert for 49 days leading up to Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, when we become a nation. But we're in this limbo, this 49-day, 50-day limbo, where we're counting, we're counting the days until we reach Sinai. And in our lives, this is always a time of year of self-discovery, and we're coming out of the cocoons of the winter, we're coming out of hibernation, we're, we're trying to figure out, it's a great opportunity to try to figure out who we are and make changes. And that's why I decided to have this class tonight. Because it's, it's in the air. There's a certain sense of, let's change, let's make a change in the air. If you want to get out of Egypt, if you want to get out of slavery, you need to learn to take control. Judaism Kabbalah shows us how to master our time. It shows us how to get out of Egypt every single day. There's a few commandments the Torah commands us to do every day. Not many, but a few. The first of the daily commandments is to remember that you left Egypt. Isn't that strange? There's a lot of things that have happened in Jewish history that we should remember. Remember the Alamo? Remember Pearl Harbor? No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm American. I remember Pearl don't, uh, don't, don't put it against me. We had the October crisis. Yeah. Remember the October crisis? Why remember Egypt? What's so important about Egypt that we need to remember going out of Egypt every single day? And once a year, Tell it in graphic detail. The reason we left. Because we've never left. We're in Egypt every day. Every single day, we're a slave to someone or something. Egypt was the first time a nation was slaved, enslaved. We spoke about 42. And the enslavement and the, the African Americans. That all came from Egypt. There was no such thing as slavery before Egypt. You will not find anywhere in history a slavery before Egypt. The first time a nation was enslaved by another nation was Egypt. And because of that, Egypt is the worst slavery of all time. Because it started the idea of slavery. I will, Michael Medved is a very popular US radio host. And early in his career, he was saying, one day I was listening to one of his shows, and he was saying early in his career, there was a catchphrase in the newsrooms. It's, they said, if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning, if the story is bloody, it's news. Why does the crisis and the blood make the news. You know, you, you watch, you go to sleep. Before you go to sleep, you turn on the TV, 11 o'clock evening news or 10 o'clock evening news. They have 99% of it is all about the blood and 1% is, oh, and by the way, somebody helps somebody and, uh, 
You know, now they're trying much more, right? They start with these like focus of the week or they try these things where they're trying to say, oh, good person of the week. But no one really cares. Usually you just turn it off for that because no one wants to hear it anyway. I'll tell you something interesting. The Kabbalah says the following. How you go to sleep is how you wake up. Your entire day tomorrow is going to depend on how you go to sleep tonight. If you fall asleep, what it says is if you go to sleep like a horse, you wake up like a horse. If you go to sleep like a lion, you wake up like a lion. How does a horse go to sleep? Standing. It's constantly wavering, never get peace. It's constantly not sure. That's falling asleep to the TV. And what's with the long face? And the long face, yeah. How does a, how does a lion... How, did, how, how does a lion go to sleep? You know how a lion goes to sleep? Gives that a big roar. Falls. And it's fast asleep. You can see those kids, they're banging on the windows, trying to wake, wake up, little lion. You know, they're like, they're the zoo, they're like banging. That lion is fast asleep. We must go to sleep like lions. The way we go to sleep like a lion is we turn the TV off. And then we consciously prepare ourselves one hour before sleep to go to sleep. I am going to sleep. We start the process. The first thing we do is we do something that relaxes us. Put on some peaceful music or we drink a cup of, uh, of tea or, milk. or something that will relax us. And then we open up the prayer book and we start the most incredible prayer that we have. The prayer that we say, I give over my soul to you, O God. The prayer that we, we have no control over ourselves. We have complete submission to a higher power during sleep. We don't know what tomorrow will be. We may not even wake up. We give complete sovereignty of our being to God. Then we actively go to sleep. That's the end of the night. We go to sleep with good and positive thoughts. It's so important. The 11 o'clock news is not good for us. We must go to sleep with good and positive thoughts because Kabbalah says that our dreams are made up of whatever we think about in the last hour of our day. So, if the last hour of your day is the evening news, what do you expect your dreams are going to be like? Just an extension. Be careful. You will have a sound sleep. A perfect sleep. Pills not necessary. We need to be conscious. And then, we fall asleep. And when we wake up in the morning, what do we do? We jump. Like a lion. We, we, we wake up the morning. We don't. If you just press the snooze and turn over and press the snooze again and turn over again, you're going to be sleepy the whole day. You sleep in, you're sleepy. People who sleep in are constantly falling asleep all day. 
people who wake up the morning are never sleepy. They may get tired, maybe exhausted, but not sleepy. You see people walking around, do you my coffee? You know, like, relax. By the way, today, if you bring your own mug to Starbucks, you get free coffee. It's Earth Day. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's how I found out about it. <laughs> That's how I found out about it. <laughs> See them at it on their blog. Anyway. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole blog. It's better than the email list. The whole, they have a whole thing. They've got all the good deals. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, whatever it is. I don't know. Going to sleep is like recharging your cell phone. Your battery is almost gone. And then amazing, you plug it in in the morning, it's fully charged. That's what it needs to be. Sleep is so important, but just enough. Just enough. And then we wake up. We, take a, we wake up and we need to be grateful. Grateful for every moment. Kabbalah wants us to be conscious of every second of our day. We have to become masters of our time. There's no second that doesn't belong to us. Because that, it needs to. We own our time. There's no wasting time. Every second is perfect. Every second is magic. Every second is miracle. What do they say? Yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, and today's a gift. That's why it's called the present. One of the best ways of becoming present, there's a, a process of becoming present in the morning. And the Torah sets it up. What do we do in the morning, the first thing? We pray. Why? Because prayer creates consciousness. It's not only because we are these in-the-box, regimented people that we are crazy and lunatic and we believe in dogmatic, nonsensical religion. That's not what it's about. It's about creating consciousness. Try it. Try it. Try praying. Five minutes. If you want, put on tefillin. Pray five minutes before you go out. It's amazing. Don't wait. If you want to wait to the office, if you, I really think, I really think that if there's a difference between praying the whole thing in the office or praying five minutes before you start your day, do it before you start your day. There's a sense of, of, a focus, it creates, it sets the tone for your whole day. It's like coffee for me. It is. It's like it just gives you that sense of focus. <clears throat> On your way out the door, when you're done with your prayer, look at your mezuzah. What does the mezuzah do? It testifies that our home has a higher purpose. That everything I'm about to do for the rest of the day is so I could have the home. Because the home is where I belong. Not, I love my work and my work will be. And it's for the home. 
The mezuzah represents where I belong, where I am. The home is my life. What I do outside of the home is just the means to my life. All these things just take a few minutes. But what they do is they create consciousness. They create purpose. They create a sense of being. The Buddhists have a, a, a basic, they call it a koan. They have a basic philosophy. It's called being versus becoming. You're either in the being state or you're in the becoming state. In our world, we spend too much time becoming and not enough time being. The purpose of becoming is to be. The analogy that they give is the guy's fishing. The guy fishing. And every single day, he fishes for one fish, for his family. And along comes a man and says, you're already fishing. Why don't you fish? If you fish for two, I will sell another one for you. He says, really? But then what will happen? Oh, then we can turn it into a whole business. And we can make a lot of money. And then what am I going to do? Oh, then you can buy a big house. Really? Then what am I going to do? Oh, then you can have all the things in the world. And then what can you do? Then you can retire. And then what will I do? Then you can go fishing for fun. <laughs> we need to be. That's what time does. We need to be a master of our time. I'll tell you something interesting. Most religions have their headquarters in beautiful cathedrals. The Christians have the Vatican, the Muslims have the mosques, the shrines, and they're beautiful, and they're with tapestries and gold and silver and marble, and they just build these things out of these amazing edifices. Almost any city that you go to that's older than 300 years the, the, the edifices of the city are the, are, are the churches or the mosques. Judaism never focused on building cathedrals. Ever since the temple was destroyed, we have the temple, but even the temple was a pur- it served a purpose. It wasn't a cathedral. Judaism, our, what we do, it's not tied to a specific location. You know what it's tied to? It's tied to time. Everything in Judaism is about time. Think about it. Every Jewish act is time-related. It's about the preciousness of each moment. We build the cathedral of time. That's who we are. That's what we do. For us, time is the most valuable thing. There's nothing that gold can give me that's more valuable than time. The first time the word kadosh, holy, is used in the Bible is where? Where's the first time holy is used in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. I'll tell you the Hebrew. It says,
Vayikadesh. After creating the world for six days, God blessed the seventh and made it. God made time holy. God created the world in six days and then said, Time is holy. Be. Time is the canvas upon which Judaism will paint its landscape. There are moments in time that we separate and we say these moments in time are holy. Shabbat reminds us all week long that time is holy. The whole week we look forward to Shabbat. The whole week we work so we can rest on Shabbat. I have a, one of my favorite moments of the week. My, I think my favorite moment of the week is I have a whole ceremony that I do before Shabbat where I turn off all my electronics. For those of you who know me, know I'm completely addicted. <laughs> completely. I confess. I know it's down the block. Anyway, I'm completely addicted. If I didn't have Shabbat, this would never leave me. But I can never become addicted because once a week, I turn it all off. I be. Shabbat is about being. Six days a week, I'm about becoming, and one day a week, I'm about being. And there's moments in my day, like my prayer, I'm about being. I do not have my phone on during prayer. Shabbat needs to be. It's about being. If you've never experienced it, you have to try it once. If you've never really, truly experienced Shabbat, I challenge you to try it once. Just once. I'm not saying you have to ever do it ever again. But just experience 24 hours where you have no traffic, you have no bills, you have no phones, you have no computer, you have no TV, you have no email, you have no nothing. Just being. Wherever, whoever's with you. Whoever's near you, that's it. You have to be. You have to communicate. You have to be with the people that you want to be with. Family, friends. It's an incredible, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible experience. To not have all the nonsense. And you know, the funny thing was, when, when Shabbat was created, we didn't have an electronics. But today, I think we can appreciate it so much more than before. They didn't, what was it? You know, in yeshiva we used to say, you know how you know it's Shabbat? We took the pen out of our pocket. <laughs> in the old days, what did they do? They had a lishmata and they had the shmata for Shabbat. You know, like, what was it? They didn't know what it was. Today, it's a whole event for us. You know what it's like rushing home from work? Oh my gosh, I missed this and I forgot this and we're doing frantic. Friday, you don't talk to anybody. It's frantic day. For what? What are you so frantic about? Because there's a time. It's on the calendar. And when that time hits, boom, it's gone. You can't answer an email. You can't answer a phone. That's it. You can get a hold of me until 7.08. Oh, really? What's going to happen in 7.09? The world's going to collapse? Yes. My world is over. I go from becoming to being, I will not answer your phone call. 
What if it's an emergency? There's no emergencies. And that makes you think, what about all the other emergencies during the week? Oh. A lot of people say to me, I can't do it. There's too many restrictions. It's too much. I can't even dream of that. It's insanity. It's for, you're religious, you gotta, you, Try it once. Forget about the restrictions. Just try turning off everything electronic. Everything electronic. If it has an on button, you can't use it for one day. Just try it. It's unbelievable. You don't know what to do with yourself. I really wish, I honestly wish that I could portray to you the beauty of looking forward to Shabbat. My kids ask me the whole week, who's coming for Shabbat? <laughs> the whole week, who's coming? Who's having, oh, who's coming this week? Because they have to know about everybody, right? Yeah. They, they have to know what's going on and who's coming. That's, my, my, my two-year-old, Liba, I think the third or fourth word she said was Shabbos shoes. She has special shoes that she wears on Shabbat. Because Shabbat is special. And we train our kids to know that this day, not only is this day separate, this day is the day that we look forward to all week. We do, the entire work, the entire week is a means to Shabbat. So we can have money to make a big Friday night dinner. So we can be able to do what we want to do, to be. There's no comparison to writing or speaking about a sunrise or trying to explain the beauty of a symphony. You can't, you can't explain it. There's something so special about Shabbat. You have to experience it. Now, some tell me, that music is not for them, and relationships are useless. It could be true. But my question to you is like this. Why live a life void of spirit? If you're going on a cruise, why do you want to stay in the cabin the whole trip? Why do you want to have your phone on 24-7? Why do you want to constantly... It's amazing. I grew up with 10 TVs in my house. TV was normal. I used to watch a lot of TV. It's amazing what happens when you go for a day, and then a week, and then a month without watching anything in motion picture. You have so much time. You don't even know what to do with it. What do you do? So much time. How much time? You know the average American, I don't know about Canada, the average American spend six hours a day watching TV? A day! It's insane! Adam and Eve. No. They were allowed one day in the Garden of Eden. They ate from the tree, it was Friday afternoon, and God said, I'm going to throw you out, but I'm going to spend one day Shabbat with you. And the moment Shabbat's over, you're gone. 
And since then, since they left the Garden of Eden, there's one day that's the Garden of Eden. We constantly try to get back to Eden. And we do that with being, with that day, with that holy day, with that spiritual paradise. A career is just that. A career, it's not our identity. If, if, if someone says, I'm a doctor, oh, I'm practicing medicine. You practice medicine, I practice law. It's not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a rabbi. It's not who I am. You know how I know it's not who I am? I'm sorry to be so bold. I know people don't like going here. But I've never seen awesome doctor on a gravestone. I've never seen multi-billionaire on a gravestone. I've seen father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, grandmother. I've seen that, but I've never seen awesome dude. It's a day that we've been given. It's time that we've been given. It's all that we have. We must take control of it and realize that it's beautiful. It's, it's unbelievable. It's the ability to do, to be, to become, to grow, to be uplifted. Theodore Bekel. He was here last year. And I met him in... Uh, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish Y, one day. I'm sitting down, we're having coffee, just talking. He says, you want, I want to tell you a story. So he says, I want to tell you a story. So he said, in the 90s, when we were, I remember the 80s, when there was all the things about uh, freeing the Soviet Jews. So he said, I organized, he's telling me, I organized a big rally at the Statue of Liberty. For, to free the Soviet Jews. And he says that naturally the ferry to the Statue of Liberty was all Jews. So he says, I came with my guitar and I pulled up my guitar and I was singing Jewish songs and we're all singing and we're all dancing and we're, it's like a whole excitement and it was magical. So then there was this little Chabad boy. He said he couldn't have been older than 15 years. He probably, he said, he didn't know what he was doing on there. And he starts, he says to me, I want to be honest with you. He says, I don't do things the way Jews do it. I don't keep Shabbat. I don't keep kosher. I'm not a good Jew. And this 15-year-old boy, I had a little lull in the singing. He walks over to me and he says to me, did you put on tefillin today? And I said to him, this is the conversation he tells me. He says, I said to him, that I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm not a good Jew. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So the 15-year-old kid didn't even know what hypocrite was. <laughs> he said, my rabbi, referring to the Lubavitcher rabbi, my rabbi has something called the partial mitzvah plan. He said, you know, there are 613 mitzvahs. Well, we can't do them all. So he says, there's a partial mitzvah plan. You do one, 
today, right now. Usually it leads to another, but you just do one whenever you can. So when you have a chance, you just grab a mitzvah. And that's a merit all in itself. So right now, I want you to put on tefillin as part of the partial mitzvah plan. He said, you know, the kid made sense. (laughs) The kid made sense. So I rolled up my sleeve and I put on tefillin right there on the boat. He said right after that, there was a line all the way across the other side of the boat for people wanting to put on tefillin. If you ever read the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, it's the incredible, incredible, soul-stirring book. You know, it was Moses' last days. And it's the legacy. Moses leaves the legacy. What do I want the Jews to be like? And he starts off with the following verse. He says, He says, at all times, in all places, in all times, the traditions are close to every single person to do. And in that chapter, in that one little chapter, right in the beginning of Deuteronomy, he says the word Hayom 14 times today. He challenges us. The legacy of Moses is the challenge to concentrate on today's challenges today and leave tomorrow's challenges for tomorrow. To concentrate on today's challenges today and tomorrow's challenges tomorrow. It's so easy to concentrate on tomorrow's challenges today. You know why? Because when the guy comes in communist Russia, when they come from the Tsar, the Tsar, if you had, he says to the man, if you had a million horses, would you give them to the Tsar? Oh, a million horses, I give them all to the Tsar. 10,000, I give 10,000. Of course, 10,000 horses, I give them all to the Tsar. 500 horses, would you give them to the Tsar? 500 horses, you guarantee the Tsar can have it all with love. 50 horses, would you give them to the Tsar? 50 horses, give them all to the Tsar. The horse in your backyard over there, the Tsar wants it. Oh, but that I have. It's so easy to worry about tomorrow. Got to think ahead. Got to be worried about tomorrow. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Relax. The Torah says, Moses says, you want to know how to live your life? Worry about today. Because today, this moment is all you have, it's for you. We're always thinking of the future. We're always thinking ahead. We're always worried. We're like playing chess in our minds every single day. You know, we gotta be five steps ahead and we gotta be smarter. We gotta think of that or that. No, we don't. There are a lot of people who don't do that and they're very successful. There's a lot of people who don't do that and they're maybe even more successful than people who think ahead. Gotta think about today. What can we accomplish? Look at the moments we have right now, this moment. What can we do with it? I, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. I was 14. I'm sitting on the bus with a friend of mine. We're having a very deep, philosophical, 
meaning of life debate. And there was an elderly African-American gentleman sitting across. And he's listening to our conversation. I see him, he's listening there. And he, middle of the conversation, he takes his cane and he kind of taps me on the shin. And he says, you want to know about life? I'll tell you about life. You're born. Then you go to school. Why do you go to school? So you can go to more school. Why do you go to that school? So you can go to high school. Why do you go to high school? So you can go to college. Why do you go to college? So you can get a job. Why do you get a job? So you can get married. Why do you get married? So you have kids. Why do you have kids? So they can do the same darn thing over again. Life is short. Live it up. That's not the Kabbalistic way. That's not what life is about. Life is not short and life is not meant to live up. I know, I'm sorry. If I'm breaking the news to you now, I'm very sorry. Forgive me. I didn't want to have to be such, break such terrible news to you. You know how you know? You ever go on vacation? What happens when you get back? You're exhausted. <laughs> exhausted. What did you just do? <laughs> I don't understand. You went on vacation. That's supposed to be rehabilitating. You're exhausted. You got to go on vacation from the vacation. Life is not meant to live up. We have a job to do. Six days a week we become, and one day a week we be. And there's moments in our day that we be as well. But majority of it we're becoming. First grade is not important so you get the second. First grade is important because of what you're going to learn and what you're going to be in first grade. I just, it's, it's so interesting because I just see so many people and I, even myself, I feel like we go through life numb, just completely absent of life. There's so many incredible moments every day and we're just completely lethargic to the moments. Oh yeah, whatever. Write it in a book. We go through life just... Stumbling. If we don't get our coffee, then we can't. Don't talk to me. I didn't have my coffee yet. We, we lost our sense of being. We lost our sense of, of being who we are. We were supposed to be happy. This was supposed to be the generation that we were all happy. This was supposed to be the time that our parents and grandparents worked tirelessly for so we could have a good life. This is it. It's finally here. Freedom has come. 50 years ago, there was no freedom. Today, we have it. We can do whatever we want, however we want to, and we're miserable. All we can think of is how terrible our life is and what we don't have. The time has come. The time has come to think of what we do have. A woman came to see me today. She called me up and she said, I have, I have, to, I have to come see you. So I, she comes in, she sits down. She tells me I don't know what to do. I haven't spoken to my mother in 10 years. So I was about to say, 
to why don't you just go speak to her when she said she passed away a month ago. She bursts out crying. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm miserable. I can't sleep. I can't eat. All I can think about is for 10 years I had an opportunity and now I can't replace it. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Kabbalah, Judaism, designed our life to circumvent regret. You should have no regrets in your life. You should go to sleep every night with not one regret. It's kind of like a sensitive microphone that lets us hear our inner desires through all the static and noise of life. Don't regret anything. If you regret something today, fix it right now. You cannot wake up tomorrow if you're regretting something right now. Don't confuse urgent with important. There's nothing urgent, only important. Nothing is ever urgent. Our family, our home, our marriage, our spirituality, that's important. Everything else can wait. We need to establish our set of principles that we live by. We need to decide, this is what's important to me. And stop constantly trying to spin the wheels that don't turn. We're all on stationary bikes all day. We're spinning wheels and we're not going anywhere. We have to stop spinning the wheels and realize there are, there are things that are important. There's a lot of... Kabbalah sets out some incredible values, core values. I'll give you one as an example. There's many, many, and we'll, we'll t- we're going to start talking to them. This is all a preface to the course that we're starting next week. Got to pay for advertisement. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> one core principle is selfless versus selfish. If you want to know how to make a decision whether it be big or small, think of the following. Is it selfless or is it selfish? And then you'll know the right way, the right decision to make. We're going to talk about that. We're going to actually do some role-playing. You know, let's do it right now. Anyone want to give me something? I need a volunteer. Give me a scenario. Go for it. Selfish or selfless? Give me a scenario. Selfish or selfless? Well, if I go to the game and it's, it's going to be seen as selfish, but I give away tickets for selfless. It could be seen as selfish also. Yeah. Maybe you want the money instead of going to the game. No, let's, no, say, let's, say, let's say I was, I was not making a profit on it. Let's say you were giving it to charity. Okay. 
then that would be selfish for selfless. Going to the game would be selfish. Giving the chickens a charity would be selfless. Now let's... It, it, in a way, it would be... It would be Selfless is something that you do without any personal gain at all. That's selfless. Now let me tell you, nothing selfish can come from something that's selfless, and nothing selfless can come from something that's selfish. Oh, the right way is always the selfless way. There's never, you can try to prove me wrong, I'd love for someone to prove me wrong. There's nothing that's ever selfish that's right. Actually, it's the intent might be. That's right. You can look at two things the same way. Give me something a little close. I mean, it doesn't have to, nothing personal, but something a little closer to home. Something, something. You can give me an example. It doesn't have to be your own. Just give me a random example. Selfish or selfless? For what you feel so good about it afterwards. Selfish or selfless? If you feel like he needs it, that's selfless. If, if you're doing it for him, then it's selfless. You can if you, and then what happens at the end when you have this nice sense of feeling? What, what, what do you do with that? It just brings you up. It makes you feel good. What do you do with that? Use it to do the same thing again next you time. Use it to do the same thing. Use it to do something else selfless. Because one selfless act will lead to another. Now, I don't mean be a doormat. What I mean is... What I mean is, when you're making decisions, make them that way. But if you are a doormat, and it's selfless. It's not selfish, it's a doormat. It means you have, no, I'm saying it's not, doormat is selfish. Hmm? Really? Being, a doormat is Being a doormat is selfish. Why? Because people who are sacrificial lambs are sacrificial lambs. That's a selfish thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a character trait that needs to be fixed. It's a character trait that has to be fixed. So doormat is a selfish act. I mean, they have to be the doormat. What? What? They want to be the doormat. Of course, they either want to be or they don't know what else to be. But either way, that's not a that, that's not that's not that's not conscious. You have no choice. You have no choice. The point where you have where you say you have no choice, where it lasts so long, where you don't know, you don't see a way out. But there's definitely no such thing as no choice. What? You're always. We are master over our time. That's what we're talking about tonight. There's always a choice. Sometimes, if it's gone on very long, it's very hard. The, the longer you allow the, 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 the stitch to, to open, the harder it is to sew it up. One stitch in time saves nine. I think my grandma used to say that. Let's say, for example, someone gives the money, they feel good about themselves. See, it's selfish if you just want to help them. But then, later on, you decide to tell someone about it. Does it become selfish? Because you won't. That's the question. I want to tell you a story. 1998, New York City Marathon. There was a runner named Zoe Kaplowitz. Look her up. She's 46 years old. She's 46 years old, and she suffered for 30 years from multiple sclerosis. She could only walk using two crutches. She walked for 31 hours and 15 minutes. And she finished the 26-mile race with her left leg dragging. She came in last, but she finished. And I saw an interview with her. 
And the interviewer said, why did you do that? And these were her exact words. She said, when you are born, God gives you a TV set with hundreds of channels. Sometimes you get a channel and it's only static. You have a choice. You can spend your whole life looking at the static or you can get up and change the channel. My commitment in life, she says, is to change the channel as frequently as possible. Every day, there's a new channel. Every single day, we have a new breath of life. Today cannot be the same as yesterday, and tomorrow cannot be the same as today. We have to seize the moment each and every day and change the channel. A couple of years ago, someone called me from out of town and asked me a couple of questions, led into a conversation, and I invited this girl for Shabbat, for Shabbat dinner. She came to my house, and she, I could see she was very standoffish, and I just, you know, I let her be, and she was watching and observing and the hustle, you know, the regular, the regular Friday night dinner. And at one point in the dinner, she turns to me, she says, I, w- I want to tell you something. So I want to tell you a story. She said, my father is a Russian immigrant. And he was turned off of Judaism. Said it was our first Rosh Hashanah. We moved to Chicago from the former Soviet Union. My father was so excited to go to Shul. He said he got, he went, we had nothing. We didn't have anything to eat, but he went and bought us all fancy clothes so we can go to Shul for Rosh Hashanah. We were all dressed up. We looked so good, the whole family. He said, we got to the doors of the shul. And they said, where's your ticket? Mm-hmm. And my father, he said, we were, we were in the States, maybe in Chicago, maybe two, three weeks. My father didn't know nothing from a ticket. All he knew is that he was free. That last year, he couldn't go to shul. And this year, he can go to shul. That's all he knew. And the woman would not let us in. We were not allowed in the shul. He was so humiliated and so deeply hurt that he said to us that, they are, that we are never to have anything to do with Judaism or Jewish life again. That Judaism is all about money and not about faith. She said, that was the way I was raised. I never participated in anything Jewish. She said, I, the only reason why I came here tonight is because you were insisted and I'm traveling and a home-cooked dinner sounded good. She said, what I saw here tonight did not jive with the way I was raised. 
doesn't make sense to me. This is not what my father said. It's so easy to turn someone off. This is not Judaism. This is not what Judaism ever was, the memberships and the tickets and the... Judaism is about sharing an experience with family and friends. The most important Jewish experiences happen around the dining room table, not in the synagogue. The synagogue is just a place of gathering, a place of community, a place of being. But that's not where Judaism is. Judaism is in our home. And then she turned to me and she said, and I really feel bad that my father lived his whole life and never saw this. He passed away a year ago. How sad it is that he wasted his whole life and he never heard these words. She left. Sorry. Remember I said to her, I said, your father didn't waste his life because you're here. He left you in this world. You're here in my home because your father in the heavens orchestrated that you should be here. So you should be able to see what Judaism is and make up for lost time. She left. I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning the whole night. My, my mind was haunted because... I calculated that this woman had lived through almost 2,000 Shabbats. She was in Chicago. It's a big Jewish community in Chicago. How could it be that someone living in a big Jewish community was never once invited for a Shabbat dinner? Never once, 2,000 opportunities this woman had to be invited and no one ever invited her. It had to take 41 years in a different country for someone to invite her for Shabbat. Look, it's easy to pick on Chicago, but Montreal, we have the same story. We're not talking about Poland or Russia. We're talking about Canada. How easy it is for people around us not to be invited for Shabbat. I've been thinking about it a lot. I think that we need to reclaim Shabbat. If you make a Shabbat meal, you need to make sure somebody's there. If you don't make a Shabbat meal, you need to extend yourself and Invite yourself to someone's house. Somebody wants to invite themselves to my house, invite yourself. It's always open. You need to, we need to reclaim that experience. Because for somebody to live 2,000 Shabbats without ever experiencing it, it's no excuse. It's no excuse on us, not on them. They, she didn't know better. If you don't know how to do Shabbat and you want to make it, learn. Happy to teach.
Kirk Douglas. 90th birthday. He told over the following story. Now Kirk, you know, child of Yiddish-speaking Russian immigrant, grew up in upstate New York. He wasn't born Kirk Douglas. He was born Isser Donovich. I don't know how that becomes Kirk Douglas, but whatever. In 1991, he survived a helicopter crash. He started making him think about life and God and faith. And he started studying Torah with a rabbi in L.A. And I saw this interview with him. And during the interview, he pointed to the mezuzah. And he said, you know what it says in that scroll? He points to it on his doorpost. It says that you should teach the Torah to your children. He said, I never did it. I'm trying to make up for it now, but I'm a bit late. But the single most powerful part of the interview, I'll never forget, you can, it's, it's, on, it's on YouTube. He says in the interview, he says, I've played many important roles in my career. I've played Vincent van Gogh, and he goes on and on, I don't remember all the names, he says, but he says, I've never played Isser Donovich. He found Judaism late in his life when he fell out of the sky and survived. We don't have to wait. I want to finish off with one story and then we'll go to questions. It's April 26, 1943. Nazis gather 24 Jews from the city of Dumbrella. At gunpoint, they lead them to an open field. They give them shovels. They're told to dig their own graves. When they're done digging, they command them to line up in front of their newly dug graves. They're no hurry to finish them off. They made them stand there for hours and hours waiting for their end. As the sun began to set, one of the men whispers to the fellow closest to him that Shabbat is about to begin. This is the last time, this is the last time we're going to greet the Shabbat queen on this earth. Let's welcome the Shabbat as we did every Friday night. With that, he began to sing Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. Slowly, one person picks up. Before long, all 24 of them are singing. Shalom Aleichem. The Nazis couldn't stand it as it got louder and louder and louder. They were screaming. The Nazi guard ordered, shoot. And as they sang, the third stanza, they were all shot.
before we can complete the song. This Friday night is April 26, 2013. Exactly 70 years from that scene, from that episode. I think that this Friday night is a perfect time to finish their song. Seventy years later, we have to finish their song. I want to tell you I randomly found this story. And I couldn't believe the date on that story. This Friday night is special. <laughs> tell over the story and sing the song. Maybe we should do it all together. It's time. It's time that we become a masters of our time. It's enough. If we don't do it now, we don't do it now when. We must, we must take control of our lives, take control of our time. It's all that we have. We have to remember what's truly important to us. Forget about what's urgent and focus on what's important. God takes care of us. Nothing, nothing will go wrong if we're focused on the right thing. L'chaim.